Hi, this is Chris Gall, and you're listening to The Great Big Beautiful Podcast. spend very little time wishing it was the past or or yeah. or wishing wishing that you know my life wasn't now that wishing my life was some other time i just i just don't think that's a useful or productive way to go through life i, I mean i used to be a downhill ski racer and i was a, a test pilot and i was a fighter pilot and you know I've, I've done a lot of different things but 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 it's not that doesn't mean somehow i'm dissatisfied with with what I do on a regular basis. To me, that just, that just helped turn me into who I am. Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. Welcome to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash the GBB Podcast and Twitter as well, at the GBB Podcast. We are here right now in your ears on your phone or radio or however you listen to us. I don't know. Radio. Is it radio? Really? I don't know. Maybe they have the FM transmitter from their phone. But how would they be getting our show? Uh, no, it'd be through the phone, but it would transmit. Oh, to the I radio. see what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Old I'm school just, technology confuses well, me. <laughs> in Canada, there's a station called CBC, and it's a national radio channel. You were on it before, Jamie. Yes, I know it. And and uh, they do have a show called the Podcast Hour, and they pick like podcasts and play like pieces of podcasts from different Canadian podcasts from all over why have we not been on this i don't know i'm gonna find out get and on maybe, that Justin. maybe we will be on the cbc as our canadian host you die i feel like that's your responsibility well you know what this. maybe with this maybe with our interview today because the person we are interviewing is a major canadian celebrity well i mean north american but he's major canadian celebrity that we might have a chance nice segue <laughs> nice yes, segue like that <laughs> why, why justin who do we have on the show today <laughs> what who could it be um, today we are talking to none other than Commander Chris Hadfield, and I'm not sure, I, I, I think if you're into uh, space or science or anything like that at all, you would know who he is. If you're Canadian, you certainly know who he is, and I, it was just a complete honor and ple- pleasure to be able to talk with him. Yeah, it's, um, we were just, Justin and I, I'm going to sort of reveal this, we were just kind of joking offline which, um, that what's funny is that you know a lot of people are very um um humble and i'm not saying he's not humble but you know he he kind of owns the fame that he has you know like there are schools named after him he's he, he's on coins you know he's he's had an, he's at airports named after him he's incredibly incredibly famous um and he he owns it and i think he deserves to own it you know not everybody um is lucky enough and fortunate enough to in their own lifetime while they're still alive <laughs> see these things you know see the recognition come their way um so more power to him and you know my hat is off to him he he is an incredible guy um we just don't have time to sort of even scratch the surface of what he has accomplished and where he came from and what he's done um i really re- if, if you don't know who he is or if you think you know who he is but you only sort of know oh yeah he's that guy who sang space oddity um 
go check him out. Google him. Go to his website. Go to the Wikipedia page. I mean, just his <laughs> career has been astonishing. Yeah, um, there there are so many layers. Like, we're yeah. not over exaggerating. We said we don't have time to get into it. Like, well, we really don't. We, I mean, we'll let him <laughs> sort of. We we hit some of the highlights here in our talk, um, and it's. We've said this before, but I'm really not kidding this time. Like, we could have gone three or four times longer mm-hmm. than we did. I mean, we had a half an hour with him, which was amazing. Um, we easily could have gone three or four times as long. We had as many questions. We just couldn't ask yeah. them. Um, yeah, we had them all highlighted out. and we Yeah, literally we had to have this one planned. A quarter of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, usually we just, you know, off the cuff it. but no. <laughs> Well, not quite. I'm, yeah, I know no, what you mean. No, no. no. So we're going to play that interview for you right now. This was so much fun and a complete honor for me. I know me personally. I'm sure it was for Jamie too. So we hope you enjoy. <laughs> I guess we're just going to start off uh, at the top. I mean, you were the first Canadian to walk in space. I- I'm sure you get this question a lot, but how do you describe a spacewalk to someone who will never experience it or never even know what zero G feels like? Uh, in the, in all of the astronaut experiences, which which are pretty varied and pretty demanding, the coolest, the most distinctly different uh, is when you when you put on your big white suit and you pull yourself through the small hatch and you go outside on a spacewalk. It is the almost the definitive experience for an astronaut. It's it's for a few reasons. One is it's it's really rare and really really difficult and complex. But the other is you are alone in the universe. You are you know at one moment you look around and you realize you're holding on to the outside of a ship with one hand and and it, you're not um, on Earth, looking up at the universe. For the first time, the Earth is completely separate from you. The Earth is like off to one side, uh, like like just a planet, and and you are um, in the universe, surrounded by it. The immensity of it it goes every direction infinitely, and and that that perspective of being separate from the world, of just seeing it as a planet. And, a, and of you being one small human being clinging to a ship uh, with the universe around you, that that's a fundamentally amazing place for a human being to be. And so that, that comes into uh, what people call the overview effect. And for our listeners who are not aware, um, what exactly is it? And is it, is it real? Did you experience it? And how did it change? No, it's, 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 it, that's that's a, a gentleman wrote a book in 1987, I think. Right. And he was trying to imagine what it was like, but it, it's not a thing. It, right. It's not like 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 you know, it's not like you suddenly come around a corner and now there's this this thing. It's, I think what he was trying to get at is that most people only see a tiny, tiny little piece of the world, right? right? Just how you grew up. You know, you may have traveled some, but you really have a very uh, biased and localized understanding of the world. It's just natural. Um, but when you have a chance to get uh, on, a, on a ship that can take you around the world in 90 minutes mm-hmm. and then go around the world, not just once where it's, where it's kind of like a, like a roller coaster ride, but <laughs> hundreds or even thousands of times, then, then it starts to really let you see the world for what it truly is. And, and, you know, maybe it's like if you're a bug that lives your entire life under a rock, 
you yeah. know, you, you get a you, you don't really know that much about anything beyond your particular bit of of moist darkness there. But but suddenly, if you can get up and, and see an entirely different vantage point, the, the life under the rock hasn't changed, but your immensity of perception and the reality and the accuracy of your perception shifts. And, and, and so I think more, it's, it's really seeing the world with clarity and without filters and without anybody telling you what to think. And it, and it gives you sort of a, a, uh, a peace and a patience and an optimism um, that is, that is different than you get if you just spend your whole life under your particular rock. Yeah. Well, I mean, now that you're back and you know, you're a civilian and you're stuck to this planet uh, and you think back about the time that you spend out in space, what would you say that you miss the most? Oh, I, I'm not the kind of guy who misses anything. Really? No, I really don't. I don't. I spend very little time wishing it was the past. <laughs> or 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 wishing wishing that you know my life wasn't now that wishing my life was some other time i just i just don't think that's a useful or productive way to go through life i i mean i used to be a downhill ski racer and i was a, a test pilot and i was a fighter pilot and you know i've i've done a lot of different things but 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 it's not that doesn't mean somehow i'm dissatisfied with with sure. what I do on a regular basis. To me, that just, that just helped turn me into who I am. Sure. You know, so I, so I, I, I think the richness of your life's experience just hopefully puts you in a position to understand and appreciate better more what you're doing right now, you know, and that's, yeah. that's the real interesting part is what are you doing today? You right. know, and what are you doing this afternoon and what book are you reading and what thoughts are you considering and what new things are you learning and, and where are you headed next and what what projects are challenging you now? That To me, that's the real essence of life. And whether you've walked in space or not, that doesn't really change, you know, how, how you view today. I, I think it just gives you maybe a higher platform to have stood upon and, and to maybe see things a little more clearly. So, so no, I, I just... I think it would be kind of a, a, a sad after effect of such an amazing experience if I just spent the rest of my life missing it. You know, yeah. it's just not how I view it, not how I deal with life. That's, That's amazing. Awesome. So the role becoming an astronaut is quite possibly one of the hardest things a person could do, especially someone uh, growing up in a country where there wasn't a space program. So how did you find the grit and determination to keep going with when the goal seemed so you know unreachable or unattainable? Yeah, the numbers are crazy. I think there are there are far more people who have won Nobel prizes than than have been in space. So, <laughs> right. so it, I mean that doesn't belittle anything, but it just shows how rare the experience still is. Um, so, I, I don't know. I I I still recognize even. I mean, we launched a spaceship very recently, and that is still an extremely unusual and difficult thing to do. So it, it, it hasn't gotten any easier with time. Um, and when I, when I decided to be an astronaut, I really, I, even as a little kid, I recognized, well, this is probably never going to happen, <laughs> you know, but, but, but I also recognized that if I didn't, uh, try that, if I didn't change who I was, you know, if I didn't start, uh, changing who I was, what skills I had and who I was going to be, then it was never guaranteed. They're not going to like right. look around and say, Hey, who, who's unqualified? We'd like you to go to space. <laughs> you know, that's not how it's going to work. So, so I just, I just thought, well, uh, it used to be impossible to fly in space and now people do it on a regular basis. So how does that happen? What, you know, what something used to be impossible is now possible, barely possible, but still possible. So how do I, 
become one of those people, just in case it, it could ever happen. And, and when I decided to, Canada didn't even have uh, astronauts. It wasn't it wasn't hard. It was it was by definition impossible. We just didn't do it. But but I thought, well, you know, uh, we didn't used to walk on the moon either, or or whatever. So so I'm just going to change who I am. And and maybe someday I'll fly in space. Probably not. But but I'm going to try and become one of those people who has the skills that might allow me to, because it all sounds interesting anyway. Learn to fly, learn to scuba dive, learn to speak other languages, go to university, uh, train, study. I mean, that that all sounded like an interesting thing to do with my life anyway. Right. And then maybe, maybe someday I'll even fly in space. And amazingly enough, you know, as improbable as all that sounded, amazingly enough, I uh, I flew in space three times. So yeah, it's it's incredible what can happen. The um, the race to the original race to space and the moon landing in the sixties it it came in, it was a seminal moment in world history um, and it brought us together sort of as a people at a time in the sixties when almost you know nothing made sense and the world felt like it was falling apart sometimes and unfortunately recent history sometimes feels like we're we could be on a similar road. And I'm wondering if you think the journey to Mars can be like today's moon landing. Could could well, it be I that common it, point of wonder? I think in 1776, it felt like the world was kind of confusing and falling apart. And, and in 1812, I yeah. think the same thing. And then during the American Civil War, I think things felt pretty tumultuous and things falling apart. And And then the First World War, I mean, gosh, the whole world was was just coming apart at the seams. And then we didn't learn properly from that. And then the second world war where all, I mean, millions and millions, we, we killed each other for what, you know? So, uh, the sixties weren't, weren't nearly as bad as that, but they were still pretty tumultuous and, and, um, and disruptive, uh, as, as one generation was passing from to the next. So there's nothing new about that. And what we're facing right now, you, you can always go crazy with excitement over current events. So there's, Lots of reason to do that. But I think a little historical perspective helps, too. Um, never in history have we had a period of peace this long. And and never have this many human beings been fed at the standard of living they're at. Or has infant mortality been dropped? Or has human literacy been this high? You know, it's a pretty cool time also. But as you say, it's good to have um, things that inspire us, things that um, give us uh, maybe a way to raise our eyes beyond the noise of the day or, or the screaming headlines of the day. It, it's, it's, we need that as human beings. You need it as a person. We need it as a society. And there is incredible stuff going on, both on the surface, but also in, in starting to understand the rest of the world. I don't think there's anything magical about, uh, the first footsteps on Mars. It'll be a big human achievement, mm -hmm. but, um, but we don't explore the universe uh, because it entertains people. That's sort of the, the cart before the horse. We are trying to understand the Earth and, and the rest of the universe and, and the uh, inextricable link between the two of them. And once in a while, something happens that is sort of transiently entertaining also. Yeah. But, but that, that, that's not the purpose uh, of the events. You know, it, 
it, it instead, it just becomes the core of, of what we're up to. And so uh, I think long term, eventually, of course, we will have not just robots, but people on Mars. That That's just a matter of slow and and uh, and inexorable development of technology. We will get there. I mean, all you have to do is look back to what we've done within my life. When I was born, no one had ever flown in space. Mm-hmm. And yet for the last 15 years, uh, we've had people permanently living off the planet. And not just one country, but but like the 15 leading nations of the world have organized to be living off. If you're 15 years or younger, you've never been alive when there weren't people living off the earth. I mean, that all happened really recently. And, and the space station, anybody on the earth can look up mm-hmm. and, uh, and dusk or dawn and watch it go over as a visible example of what we can do together when we do things, you know, right. And so, uh, so I think that effort, it's always there within us, and it's one that needs nour- nourishing and encouraging, but it inspires millions of people. It, it, when a big moment like the first walk on the moon, that, that's a hugely exciting moment. But, but I speak at schools all the time and walk in to a, a cheering uh, thousand-strong group of kids in an auditorium where hundreds of them come up just to ask individual questions afterwards. That, that curiosity, that inspiration, and therefore the, the, the vision of self doing something different, where you think, hey, I might do something different with my life. I might read this. I might do that. That whole idea to me is, is an important part of success as a society. And, and space exploration isn't the only thing, but it's one of the really cool, unifying, inspiring parts of what we do. And, uh, and it's inspired me my whole life, too. That's incredible. If if you were just starting out your career now, if you were you know a younger man or in your twenties, just starting out, or would you be in line for that one way trip to Mars? Well, there is no one way trip to Mars. You know that that that's there are no spaceships that do that. There's no program. There's nobody funding that. That's you know that's a thought experiment. But yeah. it, but realistically, we're all on a one way trip. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, get over it. You know, you live and you die. That's life. You know, that's how it goes. So you're all on a one way trip. You don't stay in, in the, the bed you were born in for the rest of your life. You go somewhere else and then you live there for a while and you go somewhere else and then you live there. And eventually your body can't build itself anymore. And eventually you pass away. That's just life. What matters is what do you do while you're alive? You know, what have, what have you done that's important to you? What, what, what drives you to, uh, what do you want to change? You know, what do you, what do you want to accomplish? And, and so, uh, all of our explorers really, sometimes we've been out probes and came back, but most of our history of exploration has been to go look at someplace, look at someplace, look at someplace, and then go, that's a place we ought to live and then start settling there. And, and space is now in that category. We've been looking at it with uh, robot and human probes for the last 55 years. Well, I guess Sputnik was almost 60 years ago. And, and we started settling there as a species 15 years ago. And we've had people permanently settled off the earth for 15 years. And so the next step, uh, of course, is where do we go after the space station? And I think it'll be the moon, probably. We've been there with probes, but uh, now maybe we have the technology to start living there on a more permanent basis. And eventually we'll go to Mars, too. So yeah. so to me, as a, as a 20-year-old, yeah, that, that's all pretty cool and yeah. fascinating and, and interesting stuff. And, and I am involved in it, and I, and I would be involved in it, absolutely. Awesome.
So when you went into space, um, you went in with 20,000 Twitter followers and were relatively, you know, unknown in the pop culture world. But when you came back, you had an over a million followers. You were a pop culture icon and celebrity. Was that, And you basically redefined what astronauts could be in the modern world while you were there. Is that something you expected or thought would happen on your mission? Well, that was my third space flight. Yes. And I think yeah. maybe, you know, pop culture, the, the word pop is a pretty good one because right. it goes and then it's gone. And um, <laughs> after my first space flight uh, in 1995, I was on the cover of Time magazine. Right. They named schools after me, an airport after me. You know, it, it would have been, I'm on coins. You know, it, 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 it there was lots of fame. And, right. and a lot of people know, you know, knew who I was. So, so I, you know, that's interesting. But, but the good part of that is they, they were, they knew who I was and they were interested in what I was doing because of, Mm-hmm. what I'd accomplished and the import of what I was working on and the newness of it and, and the doors that it opened for other people. And so on my third space flight, when uh, social media had been invented and the internet so much more um, widespread now, um, it just, more people could right. could acknowledge that they knew who I was. It hasn't, I mean, that, that's, that's, to me, that's lovely. That's, uh, that's just a reflection of human interest. And, and I, I think it's great that 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 many people can now, with with almost no barriers at all, they can get on board the spaceship with you, and and, and see your transient thoughts and your because if you just have film in your camera, like plastic film, it's really hard to share the visual nature of the experience. Or or if you can't downlink a video because we didn't have the technology back then, now you can. You can have a cool or funny or sad or, or significant experience, and within just minutes, literally a billion people can log in and share it with you. And that that's new, and that's really cool, and, and it's extremely powerful. And, and it allows people maybe to visualize themselves doing things that otherwise they never would have imagined, which then changes behavior. So I, I think it's uh, using the technology to share some of the amazing stuff going on that's that's both natural and 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 really good for us all, and so I, I was delighted to come back for my third flight and have the wave of uh, of people that know who I am, and, and it's doubled actually since I landed. Uh-huh. We we had about eight hundred thousand on the day I landed on Twitter, and it's one point six million now. So so it's not just a, a transient headline, but it's the ideas of it mm-hmm. that matter, and the and the the, the content and and where it's headed. So to me, that's that's doubly rewarding. Well, I mean, on that third mission, you were, you know, you were commanding the ISS. And I mean, so on top of, you know, your command duties and all the science experiments that were going on, you somehow still found time to, you know, video chat with schools, to tweet, to take, you know, hundreds of gorgeous photographs, to record music, to, to do the space oddity video. I mean, where did all of this time come from? Was it just a never-ending workday and you didn't sleep? Yeah, it's a never-ending workday, and and NASA tells you what you're doing every five minutes yeah. for the whole six months that you're up there. You you have a, a, a electronic schedule that shows what you're doing down to five-minute granularity for the whole six months, and nowhere on there does it say go take a picture or, or play guitar or or do something artistic or creative or. Uh, it does schedule us to speak to some degree with you know with some school kids and things. We we obviously recognize the importance of that and do it. But um, so I did uh, most of those other projects in the time that the schedule said sleep. 
Yeah. And I thought, you know, on the books, it says seven and a half hours sleep a night, but I'm going to steal a couple hours a night and, and just do all the other things that are important. I'll, I'll, I'll sleep when I really, truly need it. But otherwise, I'm going to try and be productive. And, and I don't want to come back from six months in space. So, well, I didn't accomplish much, but I was really well rested. You know, <laughs> that wasn't, wasn't how I wanted the legacy to be. And so uh, it was, I mean, but most people didn't see was that 99% of what you're doing is work. It's just straight, un, untrumpeted, hard and demanding and extremely varied work. Uh, running the 200 experiments, fixing the ship, um, making everything work, plan, working all the different demands. It's, it's a huge, thriving laboratory of a, of, a, of a spaceship. So that's what really keeps you busy. But whenever I got a moment um, that, that I could, I, I would do my best to share that experience. Yeah. So, so that I'm, you know, not just keeping it to myself, not being selfish with it. And, uh, cause I, I think that as an astronaut, that's also an important part of the job. I mean, I know, I know you're saying like every, your schedule is, is broken down by every five minutes. And I know that I can't, I can't even imagine how much money every minute must be for every astronaut up there, but seeing, you know, the response that you got from like the space oddity video or, you know, some of these other things that just not only reflects really well on you, but gives great PR and, and public excitement to NASA in general. Do you think that they should or would maybe build in more of that sort of quote unquote free time for astronauts to sort of to do that, that grassroots PR stuff? Well, I mean, NASA are the they're the main contractor or, or coordinator that built the International Space Station. And NASA maintains the communication links, and they put the high data rate uh, video on board so that we could downlink all those photos and videos. And, they, you know, the, they've built all of the structure. It's sort of like the Field of Dreams, you know. Yeah. If you build the structure and put competent and interesting people on board, then um, cool stuff's going to happen. And and so I think NASA does it really well and does it right, because not not everybody on board is is say Alan Bean who walked in the moon who's a, a terrific painter or Alexei Leonov who's a sculptor or um, or whatever. There's a whole mix of interests and skills. We have some very good writers and poets and uh, Story Musgrave is poet laureate uh, in in Texas and so some really interesting people. Um, but but number one, of course it's dangerous and it's extremely technically hard and no one will be happy with our poetry. If we kill everybody, you know, you have to, you have to maintain the job. And, and that's where NASA very much sees its focus. We're not at a stage now. I mean, when Magellan, who was the first person to circumnavigate the earth back right in early in the 1500s, they launched with four or five ships and 200 people and only 18 people made it around the world. And they were the very best that they could find of sailors. They sure didn't have room on board for, for science or art. But 150 years later, when Cook sailed around the world in Endeavor, they brought along scientists and, they st and, and artists and they started trying to understand it. But it took 150 years yeah. in order to get to the level of technology. It was, Cook's was the first voyage where people didn't die of scurvy on the way around the world. So, it, so we're kind of still early days in space exploration. And the vast majority of our job is just to be able to even do it at all. Um, and, and then it's just through the tenacity of the crews on board that we do our very best to not just make it a technical thing, but also to make it uh, an artistic and human thing so that, uh, so that as many people 
uh, I guess, benefit from it as, as possible. During your career, you saw a lot of changes to space travel. I mean, you, you from Mir to the ISS, to the shuttle program, and now SpaceX with the Dragon spacecraft and other things. Looking ahead, you know, looking back to where, just what's happened in your your career, in those those you know relatively few years, what makes you the most hopeful? I guess for the future of space travel and exploration, like what do you see coming that is just really exciting? Uh, part of it is everything we discover almost always uh, raises more questions than it does answers. Like suddenly we see water flowing down the slopes of Mars. Or just a couple weeks ago, it looks like there may be liquid oceans under the surface of Pluto. Which, well, how can that possibly be? We thought it was like this frozen, boring lump out there. And it turns out it's this incredibly active planet or, or protoplanet way out on the edge of the solar system. Or, or Enceladus, which is one of the moons of Saturn. Uh, spewing water in to feed the rings of Saturn. It's an entirely liquid planet with a rocky core. Or or uh, we just dropped a, a satellite in Juno in close to Jupiter or whatever. All of those things uh, just raise our level of curiosity. They, they increase, I think, the cumulative desire to go and explore and understand it better. And so to me, that's... That's a really optimism-building thing because it continues to give us uh, the the reasons to go and, and the desire to go. And then the technology ends up following in behind. And what we really need are better engines. That's really it's, – it's like Magellan and Cook with their sailing ships where it took three years to go around the planet where I went around in 92 minutes. Um, we need better spaceship engines. That's that's the technology that is going to really open up, like going from 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 kites to to uh, the Wright brothers to piston engines to jet engines. You know that those are just human inventions, but they opened up an understanding and ability to move and travel and explore like we've never seen before. We need that, and so I think what. Uh, what the work they're doing at SpaceX with reusable rockets, that's really interesting. And mm-hmm. and that opens up a lot of possibility for making launch cheaper and safer. Um, but we need different propulsion means up, up in orbit. And whether it's ion drive or, or based on something else, it'll be interesting to see what develops. But that's what kind of interests and excites me most is yeah. is how our inventiveness and our curiosity allows us to incrementally and continuously better understand the universe and, and therefore ourselves. Yeah. What what can you tell us about uh, It's Not Rocket Scientist? Uh, not Rocket Scientist. It's Not Rocket Science. Uh, I am a rocket scientist. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, got about, I only got about three more minutes, guys. Yeah. Um, it, it's Not Rocket Science. So if you come back from an experience like space flight, how do you, how do you um, be useful? How do you take the experiences you've had and somehow be a positive influence. And there's so much uh, misinformation or, or sort of opinion in place of, of fact in a lot of people's thinking that leads them to bad decision-making. You know, if you repeat some silly, inaccurate falsehood to yourself and, and you somehow, because you've, no one's ever explained it properly, you're, you're probably not going to make good decisions as a result. And we thought, how can we... Ex- express just some good, simple ideas that um, there's a jet going over. How can we express some good, simple ideas um, that will let people maybe understand some of the concepts better, like 
uh, like the Earth's climate or like uh, vaccination or like whatever, some of the other issues. And so we're on YouTube. We have a, a, a series called It's Not Rocket Science, and the first episode is just about to come out. And it's presented in a way in an animated series that will, I think, uh, be really easy and fun to watch, but at the same time, the ideas behind it will be will be easily memorable. And so that combination is is really important. And and we're not it's not uh, profit making or something. To me, it's just a good and useful thing to be doing to let people try and understand the world a little better, and therefore make little better decisions with uh, with their lives. Awesome, Chris. Thank you so much for your time today. This has been amazing. I don't think we got through your list of questions. No, we did not. So you'll have to come back. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate the, the half hour we've had together. It's nice to talk to you both. Well, that's it for this week on the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. And we didn't even really get to touch on some things that people might not even realize, like... He is an award-winning photographer from his photos in space. I mean, we kind of talked about that he took pictures, but you know, not in the detail. Like that—that that was part of what propelled him to Twitter, Twitter fame. Him sharing his photos on Twitter, yeah. and you know, he's—he's he, he's going to this big meeting of the minds uh, in a, in a month, according to Huffington Post. So don't get mad at me if that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, he's. But, I mean. He's got a children's book coming out this fall. He's got, you know, we talked about the YouTube videos that mm-hmm. he's doing. Um, he is always out and about. He's still doing, you know, he speaks to schools. He speaks to conferences. He's like, mm-hmm. he's, he's a go-to, you know, quote-unquote motivational speaker. He, he has a really great TED Talk, um, which I highly recommend. It's about... Um, sort of perceived danger versus real danger and how as an astronaut you have to overcome those perceptions and how you can take that message and sort of relate it to your everyday life here on Earth. Um, but yeah, I mean, the music he recorded, he's recorded CDs, which I didn't even quite realize. Justin, you told me he recorded them while on the space station. <laughs> I know he did the Space Oddity video there. I didn't quite realize he recorded the entire CD there. Um, so yeah, I mean... Again, this is just like tidbits that we're not even touching like the science that he's done, you know, in his degrees and you know, his career as a pilot and things like that. So mm-hmm. um, we have to have him back, Justin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we will have to get in touch with his people. We need you back for an hour next time. For an hour. For a- <laughs> no, and for me, even beyond all of his accomplishments and the fact that he was in space, which I mean, obviously, are just that's all you have to say. That's the trump card for everything. Space. Drop the microphone. But just, you know, in talking to him about he grew up in Canada and when he was a kid, there was no space program. And that's what he wanted to do. To me, that that could speak to anything for, you know, what you want to do in life or, you know, things you want to accomplish. And he just went for it and he did things that moved him towards that goal. And that's something I always talk about. Say you want to be even something simple as say you want to be a photographer, but you're like, oh, I never have time. I don't have time to learn. Just do things constantly to move yourself towards that, even if it's a little step. You know what I mean? Buy that camera, maybe watch a few videos, you know, just constantly be moving. And then opportunities will Oh, you know, they'll come. And when they come, you're ready. That's basically what his career is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he said, you're absolutely right. When he was a kid, you know, he says he was inspired. He wanted, he, he knew he wanted to be an astronaut when he watched the moon landing in 69. And, um, there was no Canadian space program. It was literally impossible at that point for him to become an astronaut. But he said, you know what, that's what I want to do. And so I'm going to sort just make 
choices and decisions and move my life in that direction. And maybe by the time that I'm ready to be an <laughs> astronaut, the opportunity will be there, yeah. you know? And so it's, 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 it gives very, it's the very definition of anything is possible and just, you know, dedicate yourself to what you want to do and make your own opportunities. I mean, if there were still no space program when he was, you know, 20, right. He couldn't create a space program, you no, know, course, but yeah. things happen and you, you can never predict what is going to change between exactly. now and when you're abs- actually ready to do the thing. Like what, if if you, set your mind on something big, like I want to be an astronaut or I want to be a photographer or I want to be a doctor. Well, it's not going to happen tomorrow. It's going to be a long road. And so who knows what's going to be different by the time you're actually ready to become that thing. But don't let that stop you now. What, what if I want to become the first Canadian U.S. president? Hmm. <sighs> well, I'm not saying it's not possible. <laughs> I'll just move towards it with my move to move in that direction. <laughs> yeah. Although I would think that you were insane if that's really what yes. you want to do. Yes, I don't. I don't. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. All right. All right, guys. Thank you so much for coming back week after week. I hope you enjoyed this interview today. Um, let us know on Twitter what you thought. Twitter dot com slash the gbb podcast and you maybe give a tweet to chris hadfield let him know you enjoyed it he's very active on twitter he answers questions if you have any questions for me answers them all the time from people things about space if you go look at his feed um and you can also find us on facebook at the gbb podcast and i am justin at 140 justin c i am jamie at the roar bots and make sure you hit subscribe if you haven't already and send it to your friends and let them know how cool we are you know you want to <laughs> I'm the I'm peer pressuring you. <laughs> All right, guys, have a great week. <laughs> Take care. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.